You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you could ever need to know it about college football, I can promise you this is the podcast for you. Welcome in. I am Josh Pate, another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Wednesday morning. It is June 1st, year of our Lord, 2022. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much. We put some of these clips on YouTube, but the only way to get this entire podcast, this one, this mailbag exclusive edition that we do in the middle of the week, is in your podcast feed. Subscribe if you haven't already and I'm not going to beg you anymore. We are so loaded this morning, and when I said, if you could ever need to know it, this is the pod for you, I mean it. You're about to see over the next seven or eight questions, we're going really deep this morning. They got spring meetings going on in Destin, so I'm sure by the time the Thursday night Late Kick Live edition rolls around, we'll have some stuff to talk about there. But in the meantime, we're not taking a break. No off-season around here, and we're less than 100 days away from kickoff. So get your game faces on. Let's dive into the mailbag this morning. First up, Bryce. From Port Huron, Michigan, what would have to happen for the SEC to miss the playoff this year? And who from which conferences would realistically fill the void? As you know, or you should know by now, this is a total disaster scenario because it's never happened before. So no one really knows what this world would look like, but yet Bryce is asking us, just use your imagination. If the SEC were to miss out on the playoff entirely, how would that happen? So I was thinking to myself, What kind of scenario would I have to put together? Well, I came up with one, friends. This is not a prediction, but I did come up with one. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, Alabama and Georgia already have a loss going into November. Let's say uh, Bama gets upset at Arkansas. Let's say Georgia loses to Oregon or South Carolina or someone like that. So let's say they both have a loss, okay? And then they're rolling merrily along, and we get into November, And let's say there's just a bunch of churn. There's a bunch of cannibalism going on in the SEC this year. So there's really no undefeated team. There's no perfect team. Georgia and Bama, they are the best of the bunches in the respective divisions, but they themselves are not unscathed. Then we get to November, okay? So let's say we get into rivalry week, and Bama's already got the West locked up, but they lose to Auburn. So they are 10-2, and but they're the Western Division champions anyway. And let's say Georgia wins the East at 11-1, and and they go to Atlanta. And so you got 11-1 Georgia versus 10-2 Bama. Then let's say Bama beats Georgia, okay? So you've got a couple of 10-2 teams there. The conference champ, Alabama, is 11-2, I guess, because they just won the conference. And then let's say there's there's no other reasonable candidate because there was a lot of churn in the SEC that year. So the best you got is an 11-2 Alabama. Then let's say you have an undefeated Ohio State, you have an undefeated ACC champ, Uh, let's say Texas or Oklahoma were to be undefeated or one loss Big 12 champs, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, either Oregon or Utah or USC came out of the Pac-12 undefeated, Pac-12 champ. Okay, I just gave you a scenario where if all those things were to happen, We could technically, and I mean that word very, very hesitantly, we could technically live in a world where no SEC team makes the playoff. But you and I both know that even if all that were to happen, and even if Bama were to be 11-2, and people would still look 
at an SEC-less playoff, and they may love it because of the novelty aspect, but they would also look at it and say, are we really finding out who the best team in college football is if the best team from the best conference isn't in the college football playoff? Some people would say that, not everyone. Uh, several others of round here would say, who in the world cares? Uh, let them fend for themselves. You know, that's the conference, mind you, that's talking about creating their own playoff. So maybe we just beat them to the punch. Maybe we had our own playoff out here without the SEC. Bryce, it's fun to talk about. I don't know what kind of odds I would put on it. I have not called our friends over at Caesar Sportsbook and asked, what are the odds? Will an SEC team make the playoff, yes or no? But that no has to have some serious plus juice behind it for me to even entertain it. So that's an interesting question to lead us off. As you guys know, we celebrate a lot of things on Late Kick. And one of the things that we really love to celebrate, spring weddings. And we document and highlight this as much as possible because, as you know, we take a strong anti-fall wedding stance and a really strong anti-fall Saturday wedding stance. And so we got to take about 20 seconds here, Dylan and Anna. Dylan hit me up, as many of you have taken to doing recently. He said, meet Anna. And there's a picture here because we're on podcast. There's a picture of Dylan and Anna posing on their wedding night. He said, I met her six years ago. We started talking future wedding stuff about three years ago. Her dream was a mid-September, crisp fall day in Minnesota. I know, it's disgusting, isn't it? I, with a straight face, told her most of my extended family would not attend. She laughed. I did not. Fast forward to 2022, and May 28th, it was. Freed up a September weekend for 200-plus people. Cheers. That is Pate State material, friends. So congratulations to Dylan and Anna and to anyone out there having the good sense to tie the knot and do us all a great big favor and get it done in spring or summer. One of my buddies, longtime buddies, Kenny from Chicago, just got engaged last night. He said the first order of business was to make sure that she knew spring and summer. That's the window you have from which to choose. And she's about that life, so she understood what the deal was. All right, let's continue on. I'm happy to acknowledge anyone who wants to make us aware of spring or summer weddings, and uh, especially ones that you've been involved in. Brad, next up, he said, while the transfer portal was supposed to bring us closer to parity in college football, how much has it had the opposite effect in your opinion? That is Brad in Gadsden, Alabama. Well, Brad, you know, your words there were never my sentiment. I know you're not speaking for me, you're speaking generically. It is true that a lot of people thought the transfer portal would bring us parity. I don't know why they ever thought that. Because there was nothing, if you thought about the actual mechanisms of the portal, and the mechanisms and makeup of college football that ever led anyone of reasonable mind to believe that there was going to be more parity injected. But we remember now, like Brad's talking, but a lot of us remember back in the infancy of the transfer portal, you know, when this was just an idea that was being floated around, what was the talking point? The, the overall general casual narrative out there was, oh boy, Bama's in trouble, Georgia's in trouble, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, all these programs that stockpile all this talent. Well, now, if you're second string at Georgia and all of a sudden you know that you can transfer penalty-free and you can go start somewhere else, they're going to lose a whole lot of depth. And that was going to inject parity into the sport. You know, even on the surface, I want you to think about what I just said. I'm going to take the guys who aren't good enough to start for Georgia and we're going to take down Georgia by taking the guys who couldn't start there. Like, it, on the surface, it made no sense. But that's okay, 
Because let's play devil's advocate, as we often do on this show. Let's dive beneath the surface. Remember old Nick Saban, who uh, some of you think I talk about too much, but he's only the best in the history of the game. And it says a lot of things that are pretty prophetic, so I reference him quite often around here. Remember when he said about Alabama, when asked about this, yeah, we're going to lose some good players to the portal. He didn't stop there. It'd be one thing if that's what was happening. If these teams were just losing good players and then nothing else was happening as a result, yeah, you may have a little more parity. That's not where the Nick Saban phrase or sentence or whatever you want to call it ended. He said, we're going to lose some good players. We're going to go get some great players. And that's exactly what they've done. And Georgia, when they have to do this, that's what they'll end up doing. You were never, ever, ever going to look at the premier programs in college football, the ones that some of you think are choking the life out of the sport, and see them victimized by this. Let me give you a bigger spoiler. You're never going to see any of the major programs victimized by rules or procedures that everyone has to go by equally. Because if things are equal in college football, what do we always say? They're never equal. If things are equal, then the power programs that have the disproportionate advantage to begin with are going to benefit from it. It's like if you and I are both hungry, but I weigh 400 pounds and I bench my weight and you weigh 160 and we both arrive at a buffet at the same time. We're not eating at the same time. I'll throw you up against a wall if you try and get that coconut shrimp before I get to it. So if all things are equal, it's not really equal, is it? It's the same way in college football. So this was never going to inject parity. It's why when you watched Late Kick, if you watched when the transfer portal first opened up, or, or NIL, we're still talking about it now, it just, it bothered me to no end. I know it's useless to get upset about it, but it bothered me to no end when some of the casuals out there were fighting for the transfer portal. I don't care if you're for the portal or you're for playoff expansion or NIL or anything like that. If we just differ in opinion, we differ in opinion. People have disagreed before. But the folks I disagree with on this, whose main point is, I support the other side of the argument because it's going to lead to parity, it's just foolishness. It was never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's, it's what I get tied up in so much about playoff expansion. If you want it, fine. I don't, but if you want it, fine. But it's just some of the arguments I hear in favor of playoff expansion. Or, just like the portal, some of the arguments I hear, they're just they're not founded in reality to me. I'd always love to be wrong on that. I mean, I, trust me, it's, a, it's much better for this old brand behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, it's much better for that brand if Colorado football and Washington State football and, and you know, uh, UNLV football, wow, yeah, UNLV, we went deep there. If they matter, that's better for us. But I don't think these changes are leading to them necessarily being better. Let us move on with the next question. Enjoying Life hit us up here. Great, great handle there. From Riverside, California, Enjoying Life asked, what type of year does Michigan need to consider it a success after last year's amazing outcome? I feel like it's playoff or bust. Am I wrong? Well, I will go general here and then I'll zoom in on Michigan. I do not really ever, let me scratch that. I rarely look at a team and say if they fail to make the playoff this year has been a failure. Because we only make four teams right now. And so if you don't make the playoff, that being a failure, that's a really, really lofty bar. Now, you could say it about Ohio State this year, and I would agree with that. Um, You could say it about Bama most years. You could say that. 
I would not say that about Michigan right now. Yeah, last year was historic. For those of you who are brand new to college football, that team, after a long drought under current head coach Jim Harbaugh, they won the Big Ten. Uh, they beat Ohio State in the, in the process of winning the Big Ten, and they went to the playoff. And those are all firsts for him. Well, the follow-up here is kind of layered because he tried to get the Vikings job. He did not get it. He comes back. So there's a portion of the college football public that just thinks he's going to crash and burn. Uh, there's another portion that thinks, oh, he'll probably come back. It's Michigan. You know, it's his program. He played there. So it means something to him. This isn't going to be one of those Dan Mullen situations where he wanted to go to the NFL. He didn't get an NFL job. He came back to Florida, but he never really came back to Florida. He was just mentally checked out. Most people don't think that's going to be what Jim Harbaugh does. But what would success be for them this year? Well, that goes directly to the schedule. Anytime we're talking about success in college football, this is not the NFL. There's not just a blanket difficulty of schedule. It, it greatly varies in college football, so we have to look at the schedule. And when you look at Michigan's schedule, 10 wins, I think, would be the minimum baseline of considering this year a success. I'm going to go very quickly through some of these games. If you're listening on podcast, at Iowa is a tough game. I'm going to go through the games that they either will be an underdog in or a very small favorite. At Iowa is one of them. Uh, they got Penn State on the 15th at home. They got Michigan State on the 29th at home. They've got Nebraska in there on November 12th at home, and they go to Ohio State. And those are games, aside from the game at Ohio State, where they'll either be favored or very, very slight underdogs. Michigan fans are looking at that and saying, we should win every one of those games, aside from the one at the end of the year, and that's it's, it's, it, like its own season. The game at Ohio State's its own season. And so they're looking at it, and they're saying, wait, we're not, we're not losing quarterbacks. We're losing coordinators, but we're not losing quarterbacks. We have got you know, one of the better or maybe the best talent rosters that we've had since we've been here. We've recruited very well, um, not, not elite, but very well under Jim Harbaugh. There's no reason why we shouldn't expect to be there. But here's really where Michigan's at. They're kind of at a crossroads where you find out what the program is. And this is where we distinguish difference between team and program. Like a team can just be one version of a program, and you can get a 10-3 and three year, and then all of a sudden you're back to 500. Well, a program is something that sustains itself year over year. Well, where is Michigan? Because there's this phrase we like to use in college football sometimes, and it sounds a little something like this. They don't rebuild, they just reload. You ever heard that before? You only say it about a select few programs in the sport. We get to find out if Michigan's there this year. Because if they are a reload instead of rebuild program, this year they'll win 11 games, minimum. And you will find out that they've entered that rarefied air where it doesn't matter what they lose year to year, the program itself is operating at such a level where they will sustain year-over-year -year success no matter if you recognize the faces or not. That's where I don't know about Michigan yet. We can't. How in the, if you're the most diehard Michigan fan in the world, how could you know right now? So I'm going to say 10-2 and two, minimum regular season is what they need to consider it a success, and I think they're capable of it. This next one is, is tough. It makes us almost a travel agency. So here's the question, and I want all of you to think along with me. The question from Melbourne, Australia says, I'm coming to America to watch college football at the end of this year. What are the things I need to do for my first in-person college game day experience? Okay, 
So towards the end of the year is the key here. So I think in general, because I know a lot of you reach out about this, if you are one of our international fans and you're coming to America and you're coming to experience college football in person for the first time, I've got three rules that I've always given people. So in this particular instance, our listener from Melbourne, just tie this into wherever your travel happens to align on the college football calendar. The first thing, and I, I, I advise you to circle one of each of these, you need to see one big game, and that could be if you're early in the year, Penn State at Auburn. Uh, later in the year, it could be Ohio State, Penn State. It could be anything in between. But make sure you take in at least one big college football environment, Texas A&M and Alabama. Take in one of those big environments. The second thing is see at least one big tradition, whether it is you know, the eagle flying before the game at Auburn, or it's the Grove at Ole Miss, make sure you take in at least one big tradition. Now that does not automatically require a big game. It would help, you know, if you went down to Doak Campbell Stadium to see uh, Chief Osceola at midfield, throw the flame and spear. If you went to Penn State for the whiteout, it would help if a big name opponent was in town, but the traditions are the traditions. Third thing that you need to try, and a perfect trip checks all these boxes. The third thing, especially if you're coming late in the year, try and get to a rivalry game. So if you could go to Ohio State, Michigan, you kind of take care of all these in one fell swoop. If you could go to the Iron Bowl, if you're earlier in the year, if you could go to OU, Texas, if you could experience that, then you have conducted as close to a perfect sampling for an international fan about what American college football is all about as you could get. And at that point, the teams have to deliver. You know, you, you could come here and see Ohio State blow out Michigan State by like five or seven or eight touchdowns, whatever that final score ended up being last year. That's out of your control. What's in your control is see a big game, try and see the traditions, try and see at least one rivalry game. And if you can do that, then I think you've you check the boxes for what makes a good international college football road trip. Now, the other thing you can do, whether you're into it or not, is the, just the overall ambiance, the architecture. You know, if you're into stadium design, you could just pick a portion of the country and you could just tour all the major universities and campuses in that portion of the country and you could see stadiums on a Wednesday. You know, you could, a lot of these places offer tours, so you could see a lot of this stuff and not have it need to be on a Saturday. But I, I say, if you can do it, dedicate multiple weekends, you know, if you can do it. I know that there are such things as budgets out there right now. But if you can do it, try and look at the college football calendar and pick a two-week stretch where you can get as many of those in as you possibly can. And hit us up while you're here, too, obviously. Uh, next up is a question I think a million of you have asked me. Coach Chip hit us up from Pine Mountain, Georgia. Harris County, Georgia is where that's located. He said, will I ever get my wish slash dream of the major Power Five conferences breaking away from the NCAA? I've been saying it needs to be done since the College Football Association days in the early 80s. Nick Saban could be the commissioner. If he declines, I can live with you. Thank you, Coach Chip. Can that fix NIL and the transfer portal? I'll hang up and listen on the air. The whole breaking away concept is one that's really popular. A lot of people talk about this. Let's be clear what we're talking about here. If the Power Five conferences broke away from the NCAA, that means they have reestablished their entire organizational model 
the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12, what they've done is they've decided we're going to govern ourselves. Because really, you have to understand what the NCAA is. The NCAA is, is an entity that exists to enforce rules and govern a sport that the university presidents gave it power to govern. The NCAA has no teeth that the powers that be at the conference and university level did not allow them to have, if that makes sense to you. So this would just kind of be a, a declawing or a defanging of the NCAA by uh, conference commissioners, university presidents and the like, and they would just say, okay, that power we gave you, we're taking it back now. You're obsolete. We're going to operate in and amongst ourselves. What would be the motivation for that? Well, one thing would be they believe the governance and the guidance they've gotten out of in Indianapolis has been ineffective and they can do a better job themselves. But also, there's this other thing in play that to go back to Chip's question, leads me to believe we may be drawing very close to this happening. And that's that 9-0 Supreme Court decision, which essentially told the NCAA, it is illegal for you to enforce your rules at the national level. Therefore, conferences are probably going to be the ones when you talk about NIL or the portal. If you want to enforce any major rule changes here, you're going to have to do it at the conference level because you can't do it at the national level. They have told you that is antitrust violation. You cannot do it. But at the conference level, you have a lot better shot at being able to do it. It's not foolproof. You would have legal pushback immediately, but you got a better shot because the Supreme Court is far less likely to look at the Big Ten and say, you're violating antitrust, you are a monopoly, than they are the entire country. Because the Big Ten is just one conference. The Big Ten could reasonably say, if they don't like it here, they're free to go somewhere else. But if the NCAA is doing it, then those student athletes can look at the Supreme Court and say, we got nowhere else to go. They won't let us go pro out of high school. So we go over here and they make money off us and we can't make money off ourselves. And whether you like that argument or not, that's the argument that's stuck at the Supreme Court level. That's the argument that's stuck. So I do think that we're close, getting closer to this. And, and I don't know if it would be the Power Fives combined or if it may just be conference by conference. Uh, but the other thing that I think has been a debate for a long time that I've been a supporter of is a separation between Power Five and G5. I, there's a lot that goes into this, okay? So let's just pretend we live in an idealistic world for a second where we are strictly constructing college football based on what makes the most sense. To me, it is ludicrous to suggest that Colorado State plays the same sport as Ohio State. It's ludicrous. They don't play the same sport. They, well, let me take that back. They play the same sport. They don't play the same level of that sport. But right now, we've got this conglomeration of 130 or whatever it is, 131 uh, FBS teams, as we call them right now. And they're all allegedly competing for the same championship, which is absurd. It's just stupid. Now, here's where some of us differ. Some of you look at that and say, yeah, and what's messed up is those conferences don't get representation. They don't get their shot to play for the championship. I look at it and I say, they don't deserve a shot to play for that championship. What they deserve is a shot to play for a title they actually have a shot at winning. Like right now, if you look at the G5, no one ever says they're going to win a title. The best prediction you ever give the G5 is they could make the playoff because we all know what happens if a G5 team actually gets in the playoff. We saw it with Cincinnati last year. 
what they should have if we were just building the sport as it should be in terms of fairness is we would have a separate G5 national championship and or playoff. That's what we would have. But then I know a lot of you are already yelling at me. What you would have is you would have a lot of pushback. That can exist for many reasons. Most of them are financial. And you are right. I understand the reality. That's why I prefaced all this with saying, let's think idealistically. Let's, as Greg Sankey would say in the SEC, let's use blue sky, clear sky thinking. So we probably aren't going to get that, uh, but I would be in favor of it. Like I look around and I think it's completely insane to look at a team from uh, the Mountain West. And if they go undefeated, listen to someone tell me they belong in automatically because they're, they're undefeated. I, I couldn't care less about what your record is. I care about what the strength of schedule is, and then I care about what your record is, but some people aren't interested in that. If you go undefeated in this sport, there's a population out there that thinks you have accomplished the hardest thing in sports. That one of the big lies that we have spoken about on this show ad nauseum is that going undefeated is the hardest thing to do in college football. That is a lie. That is not true. I could take half a dozen teams from the Big Ten or the SEC and give them certain G5 schedules and expect them to go undefeated. They would be favored by a touchdown or more in every one of those games. That is not the hardest thing to do in the world. It is infinitely harder to go 10-2 and two against the schedule Arkansas will play this year than to go undefeated against the schedule that Colorado State or Boise will play. That's no knock on those teams. It's just reality. So yeah, in my perfect world, we'd have a G5 playoff and we'd have a Power 5 playoff. It would make a lot more sense. We do not live in a perfect world. It's like Red said, prison is no fairy tale world. Well, neither is college football. You know, if we had, for instance, our way, if this was a perfect world, you would never have to have this happen to you. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And from the best ad toss in the business, back to the best college football podcast in the business. Or so some of us think, at least. And thankfully enough of you think that, too. Let's dive back in. Trenton. He checks in from Dayton, Ohio. He says, if you were college football commissioner tomorrow, what are the top five issues you would fix? (laughs) I'm short on many things, but ideas for how to fix the sport, not among them. First thing, the way we release schedules in this sport, I want to totally overhaul. I have long since been of the opinion it is foolish for me to know who Wisconsin's going to play in 2030. We're done with all that. You don't need to know a schedule that far in advance. The NFL gets this right. I'm not ever one of those guys who says because the pro model does it, the college model needs to do it. But in this particular case, the NFL folks have it right. Here's what I would do. Before spring practices, and I would do it conference by conference, before their spring practices start, I would have schedule release parties, essentially. They would be specials on TV, and you would find out. If you're Wake Forest, if you're Auburn, you find out who you're going to play and the order in which you're going to play those teams this year. Maybe you already know some of the conference games you're going to play, but you would not know the order until right before you start spring ball. That's the first thing I would do. I would create a scheduling event in the spring. The second thing is I would allow real spring games. I wouldn't force you to do it, but I would give incentive and I would work with our TV partners, whether it's CBS or ESPN or Fox, and I would say, I want to subsidize anybody out there. If Oklahoma State wants to go get the Citadel to play in their spring game, we're going to allocate funding for it. Uh, We're going to pay the Citadel, that big paycheck they would normally get in the fall, the dial a W model. We'll pay them that huge amount of money in the spring because you're going to give us a TV product in return. We will give you TV time so you'll get the exposure. So it's a win-win for everyone. The fans get an actual event to go to. If you want to bet on it, I don't think we ever thought we would see spring college football gambling, but we get a bunch of benefits from that. And anyone who pushes back on it, I'm not going to listen to it for more than two seconds because I just told you, you don't have to do it. You don't have to participate. But if you do, we're going to give you a lot, in, a lot of incentive to do it. The third thing, this transfer portal's got to have some control on it. So we're going to have windows. I think this is actually coming whether I say it or not. You're going to have a window after spring practice to transfer, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And you're going to have a window after the regular season concludes, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And that's going to be it. And the rest of the year will be spent whispering about who may or may not go into the portal, but we're not going to have players leaving teams during the season. We're not going to have players leaving teams in August. It's ridiculous. There's, there's, I don't care how much money you're paid as a head coach. At a certain point, it is so dumb to look at a, a staff and say, well, you guys make a lot of money, deal with it. It doesn't, make it, it doesn't matter how much money they make. That's That is not tied to common sense practices. You don't get to insert ludicrous practices, but then say, oh, but don't worry, they get paid a lot of money, so it's fine. No, it's not fine. So we would have windows for the transfer portal. 
I would put a stop immediately to these needless neutral site games. If you are Oklahoma and Texas, yes, I want you to stay at the Cotton Bowl. If you're Georgia and Florida, yes, I want you to stay in Jacksonville, although I know I get some pushback on that game. But if you are Georgia and Oregon, if it's not happening in Autzen Stadium or Sanford Stadium, I'm not for it. If you are playing at a neutral site game where you otherwise would be better served to be playing in your home venue, then I'm coming down with the full weight and force of the commissioner's office. I have no interest in watching Texas A&M and Arkansas play in Arlington. I want to see them in Fayetteville and College Station. I have no interest in watching Alabama and Miami play in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I want to see Miami go into Bryant-Denny. I want to say Bama go down into Hard Rock Stadium. That's what I want to see. So we would do that with neutral site games. And on the NIL front, I would get smart and I would get tactical with an NIL approach. I would work with conferences. I would also get some of the best strategic minds in my office so that I constantly wasn't on the defensive, that we actually took a little proactive approach in this kind of thing and we had some forward-thinking minds in the room to where we're not always reeling from this court decision or that court decision. But also, I would, I would make it a point to emphasize, the NCAA is not your savior. They're not going to help you out here. If you want help, if you're Greg Sankey, if you're Jim Phillips, if you're, if you're Kevin Warren, if you guys want help, you're going to have to do it at the conference level. That means you need to have well, the commissioner of your conference on board. I'm the commissioner of college football. I'll be there to help you out. But I'm just kind of here to set guidelines. You have to take the initiative and the action. You need your university presidents on board, first and foremost. And that's really one of the most overlooked aspects of this whole thing. University presidents have to do a really good job here. And then I would loop our television partners in on the back end because they play a large role in that too. So schedule releases, we're doing them in the spring. I would allow real spring games. The transfer portal windows, we would have two of them and two of them only per year. I am doing away with pointless neutral site games and we are going to get NIL under control at the conference level. Kids can make as much money as they want, but we are not going to have it erode the overall integrity of the sport in the process. Those are hard and fast rules. We're not bending on those. I am open to further suggestion. I was only asked for five. That's why I only gave five. I could give you like 20. We could just do a, a weekly college football commissioner platform podcast in lieu of this one, really, if you wanted to. Uh, next up, we're talking about non-conference scheduling, but we're kind of talking about it in a different manner. So listen to this. Tell me what you think about this. I'll be interested. From Keller, Texas, Clayton asked, how do you feel about college football adding a week per season of out-of-conference games, kind of like the NFL does? Is that plausible? So I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you what he means here. It's an idea that's been thrown around by several people. And that is, what if we carved out a week? Let's say we took the first week of November. And that was kind of like the bracket buster is in college basketball, where when you start the season, you don't know who you're playing that week. It kind of, it's determined based on however you want to determine it. So in college football, here's the idea some people have had. What if we took teams and we seeded them and then we, we matched them up so where the Big Ten number one versus the SEC number one plays the first week of November. Well, what that would look like um, last year would have been, I guess, Bama versus Ohio State at that time, or Bama versus Michigan, and they would have just played. The pushback immediately on that 
is from the high-level programs, and they're saying, wait, we're going to have a tougher opponent than the worst teams in our conference. So we're being punished for our success. And the rebuttal would be, yeah, that's kind of how it works. And there would be a half-decent argument about this. And the argument would be, if you are Alabama and you're complaining, the pushback would be, hold up now. This sport is tilted in your favor at every other turn. You've earned it. You know, you've, you've existed for 100 years, so you've earned the tilt of the sport. But nonetheless, the sport is tilted. So you've got more of a recruiting advantage than we do. You've got more of an infrastructure advantage, a resource advantage, an institutional fan base advantage. You've got all that stuff going for you. You know, if I'm Kentucky or if I'm Missouri, yeah, yeah, the schedule is going to give me one edge on you per year if, if we are in that six or seven or eight seed position. Deal with it. That, that's what the rebuttal would sound like. Um, I can tell you TV would be on board with this. I think it would get majority approval from fans. Number one, because you just get a, a deeper inventory or catalog of games. And also, you're not going to feel sorry for Oklahoma or Clemson or Ohio State or whoever's at the number one position in the conference in the given year. Also, it's good on good. So you're, you're seeing a number one seed from one conference have to play a number one seed from another conference. Here's, I think, what the drawback is. The drawback is in the functionality. How do you figure all this in? Who partners with who? See, it takes, it takes collaborative effort. And right now, in case you haven't been paying attention, these folks couldn't even get in the same room and stay on the same page when it came to how they want the playoff to work. So you think in good conscience, they're going to be able to reach across the aisle and shake hands on how they want the regular season schedule to work on something that's far more multifaceted. Think about what that would be. And then you have to worry about TV distribution and revenue sharing. I got, I got news. Our audience could probably figure it out in like 12 hours, but I don't think it's going to happen in this real college football world of ours. It would be fun, though. I'm not going to deny that. It would be fun. Next up, Michael asked, will college football ever expand to play games internationally or simply expand its following on a more global scale? Asking from Pembroke Pines, Florida. I think there is already a little bit bigger international college football audience than a lot of people realize. Sometimes when you're looking at viewership metrics, when you're looking at the Nielsen's, or when you're looking at some of the more modern metrics that we use, I don't think that the international audience is properly taken into account. In some cases, it's not taken into account at all. But there's an age-old question with our sport, with college football, that you have to answer when you address this question. Do you start changing your sport? Like if you want to go international with it, what do you have to change? Well, I'll give you an example. To start the season coming up, Nebraska plays Northwestern, but they don't play in Northwestern or Nebraska Stadium. They play in, I think, Ireland is where they're playing. So it's great for the folks in Ireland. It's great for those fan bases who want to take a trip. But I just want you to think about this. I'm not knocking any international market or anything like that. I just want you to think about this. What makes college football great to you? And then I want you to pause. You can just think about it if you're driving around in Lincoln, Nebraska, or if maybe if you're driving around in Champaign, Illinois, which is not where Northwestern is located. I just picked somewhere in the state. I want you to answer that question. And not too far down the list, if you're like most of us, one of the things you love about college football is the in-stadium atmospheres, the traditions, the game day campus feel. Well, 
You cannot have that if you're playing games internationally. Just that's the very default. It's the same way neutral site. I'm against the neutral site games in our own country. So imagine how I feel about taking folks from Nebraska and Illinois and then I put them over in, in Ireland for a game. It's a great spectacle, but what are we really gaining there? And does it really grow the game? Because I would argue anyone in Ireland who loves college football or who is going to love college football is a lot more likely to love it because of the unique factors that we have playing it here uh, than they'll ever have by a game happening to occur in their backyard. Nobody's growing up in Ireland, a Nebraska or Northwestern fan. So we're clearly just trying to take the game to them. We're not trying to take a specific brand or school to them. Well, if they're going to be college football fans, my argument is they're a lot more likely to watch from afar and see this thing called college football they have going on over in the United States and then list the same things that we love about it. A lot of you like F1 racing. A lot of you like uh, European soccer. Do you only like those things if Manchester United comes to Nashville and plays an exhibition match? No. No, that's a nice cherry on top. But if you love Man U, you love them because you have watched them play from afar and that thing they have going on over there in Europe called soccer or football, um, it appealed to you. And if you want to see it, chances are you're going to pack up and you're going to go over there to watch a game. So I just, anytime someone mentions international and college football, I always think, and it may sound backwards, you know, maybe it's not progressive enough for some people. I always think to myself, we need to keep the game right where it is. And if you want to market it to the international audience, then, hey, it's great for a reason. I don't think that its greatness is relegated just to living inside the continental U.S. I think it would appeal to a lot of folks. Maybe that's the answer. Market the game abroad more effectively. But I don't think taking the game abroad is necessarily the answer there. That's my own personal feel there. I know we have disagreement. Uh, I've gone back and forth with some of you about wanting more of this. But also, you've got to keep in mind, you've got to lose a home game to do this. You've got to be willing to give up a home game. A lot of you are paying a lot of money in those season ticket packages. And what if they send you a letter in the mail and they say, thanks for your donation. Here's your season ticket pack. Oh, by the way, we're going to go play a game in Sydney, Australia. We're going to go play a game in France or wherever you want to take the sport. You're having to give something up, tangible, that, that you only get eight of or sometimes seven of per year anyway. So if, if that's what you're on board for, then sign up. I just don't think enough people would be on board for that. And that's my only thing. Uh, we're at the back half of the podcast, which is where we always put the juicy nuggets. I know it's May or now it's June. I can tell you there is an unprecedented amount of movement in our industry right now. This is always the time that contract stuff's happening, including with me. No update as of yet. I'll tell you when I can, but it's not just me. A lot of stuff's happening, a lot of interesting things. Uh, I would just encourage you, pay attention to the landscape. If you hear people go silent, if you notice, hmm, hadn't heard from him or her for a little while, it's probably because that's what's happening with them. Uh, secondly, we are rapidly approaching 100,000 subs on YouTube, probably more rapidly than I thought. I maintain what I have said. When we get to 100K, we have surprises, maybe even plural surprises, coming. So it's going to directly impact you. I, I hope I haven't been unclear on that. So make sure that you're subbed there. But also, not just the YouTube channel. Whether you're listening on Spotify or you're listening on Apple or wherever you listen on podcasts, the numbers specifically for the podcast 
have really exploded. We're seeing between two and 300% year over year growth. And those numbers are also mirrored on YouTube. My point is we're doing numbers in the middle of what the casuals would call the off season. That should not be possible. So I always thank you. I thank you every episode. Thank you for that. I think we've established a culture here where we're just doing it year round. So if you're new, we're adding new listeners by the thousands. If you're new and this is your first experience, this is what this show is about. That's what our community, Pate State, that's what we're about. And maybe there's some terminology that doesn't make sense to you if you're new here. It'll make sense in time. But hang around and get to know us. I think you'll like what we do. And we think that we give you everything on this show that you can need. You don't need to go anywhere else. We're going to get you hooked up with everything you need and then some to be the most informed as you can be on this sport and to have a little fun and be a little part of something in the process. So for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for our entire team here, I'm Josh Pate. Thank you so much for listening. Sub, take care, and God bless.